ஸ்ரீசைத்தன்யமனோபீஷ்டம் கிருஷ்ணச்சைத்தன்யவேவம்ரீராதாகிருஷ்ணபாதான்சகணலிதாசிவிஷாகாவிதாஷாம்ஹேகிருஷ்ணாகருணாசிந்தோதீனபந்த
If his father dies, he wants to enjoy his father's property. And if his son dies, he wants to enjoy his son's positions as well. In either case, he heedlessly tries to enjoy material happiness with the acquired money. Material happiness means to have good facilities for eating, sleeping, sexual sports, and defense. Within this world, the materialistic person lives only for these four principles of sense gratification. Not caring for the impeding danger of death. After his father's death, his son tries to inherit his money and use it for sense gratification. Similarly, one whose son dies tries to enjoy the position of his son. Sometimes the father of a dead son even enjoys his son's widow. Materialistic persons behave in this way. Thus, Sukadeva Goswami says, How wonderful are these pastimes of material happiness transacted by the will of Supreme Personality of Godhead. In other words, materialist persons want to commit all kinds of sinful activities. But without the sanction of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, no one can do anything. Why does the Supreme Personality of Godhead permit sinful activities? The Supreme Lord does not want any living being to act sinfully. And he begs him through his good consciousness to refrain from sin. But when someone insists upon acting sinfully, the Supreme Lord gives him the sanction to act at his own risk. No one can do anything without sanction of the Lord. But he is so kind that when the conditioned soul persists in doing something, the Lord permits the individual soul to act at his own risk. According to Srila Vishwanath Chakravati Chakura, sons always outlive their fathers in other planetary systems and other lands in this universe, especially on Sargaloka. However, on this planet Earth, a son often dies before his father. And the materialistic father is pleased to enjoy the positions of his son. Neither the father nor the son can see the reality that both of them are awaiting death. When death comes, however, all their plans for material enjoyment are finished. So this is Sukadeva Goswami speaking. Um, if at all anybody see Mataji, please let me know. Uh, because I won't be seeing it, the speakers list, uh, sorry, participants list. And then I can stop and Mataji can continue. So the chapter is the prayers offered to the Lord by the residents of Jambudvipa. Bhagavatam is so beautiful that we have so many prayers. And if we can meditate on those prayers, we don't need to worry what we should be praying for, how we should be praying for. And what are the words that I have to use in praying? Right from the beginning, Bhagavatam starts by the prayer uh, offering by Srila Vyasadeva. Janma Dishyaton Vayad Itaratas Chartiswa. That that one prayer in the beginning by um Srila Vyasadeva tells if we meditate on that first verse, we will understand and accept the supreme position of Lord Sri Krishna. There should not be any doubts. And uh, from there it starts and it goes 
two Uttara's prayers, Kunti Devi prayers. Uttara keeps running, coming towards Krishna. Pahi, pahi, I don't have any other shelter other than your lotus feet, Krishna. Something is burning in my uh, tummy. I am not able to know what it is. And then Krishna protects her. And then after that, Kunti Devi offers prayers. Like that, we see lot of prayers. Generally, always we we think that we know how to pray, but we really don't know sometimes what to pray, how to pray, and what is the, what is that we should ask from Krishna. So maybe going through the prayers in more deeper sense and understanding and seeing how they are uh, done, or just repeating those prayers. That is the reason the sages, great devotees, offer prayers so that when great devotees do, those of us who don't know can just take those prayers and repeat and still get and derive the same benefit. So this is another one section where uh, the residents of Jambudvipa are offering prayers to the Lord. Um, and uh, the first two verses we see Sukadeva Goswami speaking. The ruler Bhadrishwara and his intimate associates utter the following prayer. We offer our respectful obeisances unto the Supreme Personality of Godhead, the reservoir of all religious principles who cleanses the heart of the conditioned soul in this material world. Again and again we offer our respectful obeisances to him. So the prayers have started from the second verse. The first verse was where Sukadeva Goswami said, Bhadrishwara, the son of Dharma Raja, rules the tract of the Lord known as Badrasava Varsha. Just as Lord Shiva worships Sankarsana in Ilavrita Varsha, Badrasava, accompanied by his intimate servants and all the residents of the land, worships the plenary expansion of Vasudeva known as Hayasirsha. Lord Hayasirsha is very dear to the devotees and he is the director of all religious principles fixed in the topmost trance Badrasava and his associates offer their prayers, respectful obeisances to the Lord and chant the following prayers with careful pronunciation. So these are the prayers of them. And now we are in the second verse which they are offering. So the last verse where they offer that, um, we offer our respectful obeisances unto the personality of Godhead, the reservoir of all religious principles, who cleanses the heart of the conditioned soul in this material world. Again and again, we offer our respectful obeisances unto him. And then they come, alas, how wonderful it is that the foolish materialist does not heed the great danger of impeding death. He knows that death will surely come, yet he is nevertheless scholars and neglectful. If father dies, he wants to enjoy his father's property. And if his son dies, he wants to enjoy his son's positions as well. In either case, he heedlessly tries to enjoy material happiness with acquired money. The only two truths in this material world for every living entity. Some living entities may not go through old age, some living entities may not go through disease, but these two things are certain and are only the truths, that is birth and death. But we conveniently forget about our death. We don't remember, we don't, uh, we think However old we are, we think that we are going to live longer. We are going to do something to mitigate death and to uh, to forget about death. But 
having knowledge um, means knowledge also develops that detachment and makes us realize that reality reading that in this knowing that in this material world that is imminent that is sure for sure going to happen is just knowledge knowing that but realizing that and knowing that one day I will also go to there we don't need to be scared and worried all the time but having that feeling inside us that this body in which I am living or this place in which I am living this family in which I am living whatever it is all these things are temporary they are going to be a curtain down at some point of time for all these things so if we have that in mind what is that going to do one thing people are one uh, some people may have that fear that is not good that is not going to take us anywhere but knowing that everything in this world is temporary then we won't be too attached to them and we won't be committing sins under the shadow of our attachment to the material things this is sure going to happen everything looks looks so trivial so trivial for us we lost this one okay anyway this is temporary we know that if not today tomorrow tomorrow we are going to lose it so it has come so that kind of a feeling helps us not getting attached so knowledge and detachment should go together so the knowledge should help us to realize the reality understand the temporariness of this material world temporary uh, how temporary are we ourselves within this material body and then what is real what is temporary what is absolute what is permanent have this knowledge should help us to develop the detachment towards the temporary things and develop attachment towards the permanent thing otherwise having knowledge is of no use many people can speak uh, eloquently remember all the verses speak and that speaking the effect of that speaking is only to show others how they are knowledgeable or does those principles are only for others not for us so knowing Bhagavad Gita or Bhagavatam doesn't mean that I can quote any verse any chapter anything anywhere speak nicely and all but actually knowing the jnana the spiritual knowledge is that you will see transformation in yourself you won't be attached to the temporary things forget about the temporary things people fight for petty things in life and commit sinful activities for their attachment towards the petty things we ourselves know that that is not even going to stay for two or three hours or sometimes for two or three years or two or three to, uh, uh, not more than that but still we fight for that we put people down we speak harsh words to hurt others um, so so many things we do so in this verse especially Sukadeva Goswami the, uh, the residents of uh, Badrashrava they are saying alas how wonderful it is that foolish materialist does not heed the great danger of impeding death he knows that death will surely come it is not that he is unaware nobody in this world are unaware of the fact that 
death is going to come for them. They all know. But then why sometimes we look at the sins they are doing, why we, then we worry, like why did he do that? This is not end of the life. For this he doesn't need to do this. There is always alternative. They know but they are not realized of the fact that that is going to come to them. And he is nevertheless callous and neglectful. So it is not that he doesn't know. He knows but neglectful. <clears throat> not aware, not realizing that fact, not remembering that always. So we all know the four regulative principles. We all know the three gates of hell, lust, anger, greed. But still we fall into those traps. Sometimes we fall into those traps subtly not knowing that we are falling into the trap of them. It is so, so important for us to be very, very careful and protect ourselves and remember and read and hear regularly and how we take bath to our material body to clean ourselves, to present ourselves properly. That the reading of Srimad Bhagavatam, reading of Bhagavad Gita is very, 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 very important. But we become so restless, we become so impatient that even when we approach those scriptures, we look for something new. Like we think that, oh, I have already known all these things. I have heard hundred times. So many people have already told. I need, I need something new. Something new has to come. Something new has to strike me to create that interest to listen, to create that interest to practice. Something, something else, something else, something else we think. The thing that we need to know that in approaching these scriptures, hearing and knowing is only a little portion of it. How much I'm practicing what I'm hearing? How much I'm able to at least trying to practice? Practicing and fully practicing uh, may be difficult, but at least trying to practice, at least know. Or after doing the mistake, uh, with the knowledge that I know, am I going back and uh, uh, doing a retrospective of my own actions, whether I did right or wrong in that situation? Am I doing that? So if we start doing that, at least like, you know, retrospecting our own actions, we will know where we went wrong. We will know where we unnecessarily blamed someone or something. And we then at least we try to correct ourselves. So here, because we are neglectful and we are forgetful that death is also there for us, we we do what we do because of that, because we forget. If his father dies, he wants to enjoy his father's property. And if his son dies, he wants to enjoy his son's position as well. In either case, he heedlessly tries to enjoy material happiness with that quiet body. So because we, the knowledge that we know, we didn't practice, we didn't even realize the uh, seriousness of it, the importance of it in our life, we end up engaging ourselves repeatedly again and again, again and again, again and again in material happiness. What is wrong in that, Mataji? There is nothing wrong. I earn the money, I am spending it on, and I am finding happiness in material things. Then question comes. Is that material happiness staying forever? If so, then it should stop in one thing. At one point, at one thing it should stop. Like, as a couple of days back, I was 
uh, I started a new Bhagavad Gita session. So I generally ask before starting a Bhagavad Gita session when people approach me locally, personally, uh, when I go and uh, get an opportunity to serve. So I was asking devotees, what is your real purpose of coming to this? Why did you all feel like hearing to Bhagavad Gita? What What is behind? Uh, then one person, one devotee told that, um, I don't know. I think sometime that I feel I have happiness in this. Then later after some time, I don't find any more happiness in that. When I was studying, I thought that I'll be happy if I pass with good grades. I passed my engineering with good grades. Then after that, I felt that I'll feel happy if I go to US and do the MS. I did. Now I got the job. Uh, the dream job that I was desiring when I was studying that, oh, all my problems will be solved once I get this job. I am done. I am happy, content. But then I am not finding that contentment, that happiness. In the things that I thought that I will be happy at one point of time are not really giving me happiness at later point of time. And I am running behind the things, finding happiness, finding contentment. And I wanted to know what is this. What is the definition of real happiness? This, this, is, this seems to be something different than what I thought. So the material happiness, it's, it is no problem. We engage with our own money in a, in a religious way only, uh, as allowed by Vedas and all. We engage ourselves in that sense gratification. But all of us know pretty much in our lives that what we thought will give us happiness permanently, what we thought is going to give us contentment and we're going to stop chasing after the things, is not really giving me happiness anymore. I am now finding I am now seeking happiness in something else. The thing that I thought that is going to give me happiness is no longer, I have it with me, uh, but then I don't have happiness in it. I, I was, when I was ill, I, I thought that, oh, good health, I just need good health, I will be happy. But then I got good health, then later I didn't have something, then I'm not happy. So the nature of material happiness is, the definition itself is that it stays like seasons, it, it, is, it is there for some time, later it's not there. Second thing, you need something externally to derive that happiness. That is the definition of material happiness. You need externally money, you need externally food, you need externally some other person or something which other than you, you are, you are going and seeking happiness. That is the nature of material happiness. Whereas spiritual happiness, the spiritual and real happiness, Bhagavad Gita and Bhagavatam defines that it grows day by day you feel more and more enthusiastically to engage in itself because you are, de you are deriving pleasure day by day new. It's always new. And it, but it, it's not that the thing that we are seeking is new. It's the same thing. But the happiness that we are getting out of it is new. It's new. It's fresh. It, it, it is increasing day by day. And most important thing, we don't need anything externally to give us that. I don't need a thing, a house, money, or a person. Because 
I'm seeking now that happiness internally from the Supreme Law, Paramatma. Once I'm self-realized, once I realize that I am Atma, immediately, immediately I perceive Paramatma. And once I perceive Paramatma, Paramatma is going to take over my life. He's going to guide me. He's going to dictate. He's going to help because now I have surrendered to the lotus feet of the Lord. And I'm seeking happiness, I'm seeking happiness internally. So even if we see the path of Dhyana Yoga, that is the thing. The yogis who seek Lord as Paramatma. Uh, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna Mataji. Hare Krishna. I'm terribly sorry, I thought it was 5.50 because it was winter time. I thought last time it was that. Somehow I got mistaken, I'm sorry. No, you already doing? Um, we, we, just read, we just read the verse and we just uh, reading and discussing. So please take over. The purport is already read? Yeah, purport is already read. Okay. Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Narayanam Namaskritya Saranchaiva Narutamam Devim Saraswatim Vyasam Tato Jayam Udirahit Nashtaprayeshva Badrishu Nityam Bhagavata Sevaya Bhagavati Uttama Shloke Bhaktir Bhavati Nashtiki Mukam Karoti Vachalam Pangum langa iti girim, yet krapatamaham vandi, Sri Gurum dinatarinam, Paramananda madhavam, Sri Chaitanya Ishwaram. Shimad Bhavatam, Canto 5, Chapter 18, Text 3. Hmm. Sambudipa okay. offering prayers. Samudipa is this my Gorkata dam Alas, how wonderful it is that foolish materialist does not see the great danger of impending death. He knows that death will surely come. It is nevertheless callous and neglectful. If his father dies, he wants to enjoy his father's property. And if his son dies, he wants to enjoy his son's possessions as well. In either case, he heedlessly tries to enjoy material happiness with the acquired money. So that, uh, yeah. 
materialistic persons want to commit all kinds of sinful activities. Uh, the Supreme Lord does not flatter them. He begs them through his good conscience to refrain from sin. But when someone insists upon acting sinfully, the Supreme Lord gives him the sanction to act at his own risk. No, uh, no one can do anything without the sanction of the Lord, but if you find that when the conditions will persist in doing something, the Lord works. The individual soul to act at his own risk. So according to Vishwanath Sakrutta, sons always outlive their fathers and their other planetary systems and other lands in this universe, especially in Swargaloka. However, on this planet Earth, the son often dies before his father and the materialistic Father is pleased to enjoy the possessions of his son. And neither father nor son can see the reality that both of them are weeping death. Death comes over all the plans for material enjoyment are finished. So that is the um, residence of Jambudvipa. We know we are living in this Jambudvipa. And uh, this is the uh, middle planetary system. And the, so there are so many uh, dvipas, eight or nine dvipas, and that Jambudvipa uh, is one. And in that, that Jambudvipa is made up of nine planets, uh, sorry, nine um, varshas. And uh, they're all, uh, you know, like, um, um, I mean, it is uh, okay. It's a varsha, it's an island, and in the middle of it is Ilavarta Varsha, uh, the place where Lord Shiva resides with Parvati. And in that place, whoever any male who goes there will be turned into a woman. That is Parvati's the same. So there only Shiva, Parvati, and all women. And uh, so in the middle of that Ilavarta Varsha is a Sumeru mountain. This is going up very high and um, touching. You've not yet uh, come to that point, right? Or you have the Jambudvipa description. Yeah. Uh, descendants of King Devrata. Okay, you've not yet come there. So there will be a later description of Jambudvipa. And in that, uh, so in the middle is the Ilavastavasha and the Sumeru mountain, the all mountain, uh, and even the Devaloka uh, is situated, I mean, it's called, uh, yeah, in, uh, even um, Swargaloka, everything, I mean, there are, uh, yeah, Indra's place, Brahma's place, all, all of them are there. This earthly planet, the middle planetary system are the earthly planets, earth planetary system. And in that, mm, uh, there are the, so in the Jambudvipa, is the nine Varshas, and only one of them in the south is the Bharata Varsha. The Bharata Varsha itself is made up of nine planets. And in the one of the planets is Bharata Kanda. That is our earth. So that is why we say Bharata Kande, Bharata Varsha, Jambudvipa, all this is. Mention, we you know when we are doing any yagnas, then we mention where we are located. So, uh, and then uh, in the, uh, and among the, the special feature is that um, 
all other places or uh, uh, among in the Jambudvipas are places of enjoyment. You see the description, huge tree will be there and like Jambu fruit. Jambudvipa is also uh, known by the uh, huge tree which goes up. Uh, God knows, I mean, uh, it's mentioned this uh, uh, long, I mean, very, very tall tree and huge, huge fruits. And those fruits which fall down, then they form a river. That's why it's called Jambudvipa. So like that, amazing things. And it has fragrance. You know, like that, everything, every place that is described, all the other Varshas are like, um, you know, another second um, heavenly planet. And it's meant for enjoyment. And even Swargaloka people come here sometimes just to enjoy. So it is that good. The only place is the Bharatakanda is not for enjoyment. It is meant for uh, raising her, I mean, elevating ourselves and into any of these um, planetary systems or going down into the lower planetary systems. It's all happening from the Earth. Just one planet. It is so important because this place is not like a heavenly planet. Uh, it is meant for actually purification, for tapasya. And that also in earlier times, it was much better. But now because of so many sinful activities, we, have, uh, we know we have really spoiled the earth. But apart from that, because it is, uh, that is why all the, you know, incarnations and um, the Lord always comes to this earth. Even though, uh, of course, sometimes he goes uh, elsewhere also. Mahamana Dev, he appeared in the Swargaloka. Like that, there must be a few here and there. But mainly, all the avatars, Krishna, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, comes to earth. And so that is why the earth is so important, actually. Um, and um, and all the holy places are all situated here. Also, a representation of not only spiritual world is on the earth, also there are of, you know, heavenly planets also, like you have of Kailas over here, like that. I don't know what else is there, but um, so earth is really very special. And of course, we have the Ganga also flowing here and... Um, uh, but the thing is that here especially, we are especially talking about um, this earth, isn't it? Well, uh, and again and again, we are, okay, everybody is in um, this thing. Yeah, the son of Dharmaraja rules the tract known as Badrasva Varsha. Just as Lord Shiva worships Sankarsana and Ilavrita Varsha. Badrashrava, accompanied by his intimate servants in all the residents of the land, worships the plenary expansion of Vasudeva. Lord Hayashirsha is very dear to the devotees and he is the director of all religious principles. Fixed in the topmost trance, Badrashrava and his associates offer their respectful obeisances to the Lord. Chant the following prayers with careful pronunciation. So one of the Vashas within the Jambudvipa. And just uh, as, so Ilavartha Varsha is also there, and Rashrava, I mean, Masana um, rules the tract of Lunas, Badrashva Varsha. So, um, 
unto the, um, so he is again and Allah is how wonderful so all materialists whichever part of this uh, material world are are really very foolish because it whatever enjoyment we seek only lasts for a fixed time it may be a little extended in the higher planetary systems and on the earth is very very short especially in Kaliuga but nevertheless people are in this illusory imagination even in the earth if, even if they know that they are very old they may die any time 3-4 years also maximum but still they will be planning about some what they think let me fulfill whatever is remaining in my heart and there is no end to the amount of sense gratification that is uh, you know um, the mind of a materialist because he's on the sensory platform your body and the mind then you think that your life consists of simply fulfilling whatever the mind tells you that's all and if the mind comes up mind is a factory of all the time making up some uh, uh, a desire or the other for enjoyment for happiness and immediately we just you know we think that only if we go by what the mind says we will be happy but it is just the opposite and in Vedic culture during the I mean when a child is born only just after 5-6 years is sent to the Gurukula or in, in, uh, I mean if uh, sometimes these great kings used to send their uh, sons to go and do tapasya uh, in the forest uh, or uh, you know in the uh, lake uh, just standing there and um, doing some austerities, sense control. This was how the life began in Vedic culture, not of indulgence and sloth and just you know uh, just keep on uh, enjoying with your senses and, and you know not like that. But um, so because of that, because the mind and the senses had to be controlled, then they became qualified to take up their responsibilities. Because then what happens? The identification is not body in the mind, but identification, self-realization. You get at least to a large extent, even if you're not completely pure, you have the realize. I mean. Um, you understand the value of life, what is the goal of life and how my, I mean the entire Bhagavad Gita is just that it is an essence of all the Vedas and the Upanishads and Prabhupada, uh, Krishna is giving a small, you know, very nice synopsis of the entire Shastra because in Kali Yuga we cannot go through all that and also Veda and Upanishads consist different different procedures for different different people like starts with Dharmakand for the materialist Upas, I mean, and then you have Upanishads which is Jnanakand which talks about renunciation and coming to self-realization and then the Upasanakand of uh, worshipping de- uh, Devatas and then finally also Puranas which talk about worshipping the Lord so it is too many things there and anybody can be confused what am I supposed to do and so Krishna has given this all that knowledge very briefly in Bhagavad Gita and just by reading that and with Prabhupada's purports we are taken through the entire Shastras and then Prabhupada steers us through every page of Bhagavad Gita what is our purpose in life what is our goal in life reading Prabhupada's books we, nobody will have any doubt about 
why we are born here, what is our goal in life and how we should live. So much, so focused. Whatever maybe Krishna is saying about other methods or other philosophy, whatever it may be in Bhagavad Gita, he will explain that. And finally he'll come to how what is Krishna consciousness and how it is superior and how it's the only practical thing in this life. And so anybody who is, comes in touch with this con and just for a few uh, you know, months even, and um, he's, um, uh, you know, listens to the classes, hears uh, and associates with devotees, will have no doubt at all about uh, our existence, what is our goal and what should I do to achieve that. That is how focused it is and that is how Prabhupada kept us so protected so that we won't get distracted. And that is why in earlier times, they, they were given a long life because it took them so long to figure out. Almost at the end of life, they will think, oh, but I, you know, I have to now focus at, on the actual purpose of life. But then, because they were based on dharma, they were said, at first, you have to understand who you are. Then you can do all your sense gratification also. At first, very first thing is doing dharma. Without that, you are not going to succeed in life. And that is why we have... Um, you know, uh, in the Vedas, always four Purusharthas, first thing is Dharma. And how do, I mean, each uh, Yuga had a different Dharma. So you have in Satya Yuga, you have um, meditation as the Dharma. So everybody was sent off, go and meditate. Right? You see in the Srimad Bhagavatam also, for that matter, even Priyavrata. Right? Priyavrata was also meditating first in the. In this, um, uh, yeah, descendants of... Oh, you already had uh, a description of Jambudvipa, right? And um, so then, can so the meditation was the means, and they were sent to do uh, that as the dharma. And in Deity Yuga, you have, um, of course, fire sacrifices, and Dwapra um, Yuga, the temple worship, and Kali Yuga, of course, holy name. Chanting the holy name, so it's become very easy. That dharma can be done so easily within your house only. And you don't even need some brahmana to come and teach you how to do that. You know, of course, we go to ISKCON to learn how to do that. That is quite simple. And just remaining in association, anybody can start chanting. So, unless we do that, why did we say insist on dharma? Because then, what, of course, education was also attached to that, whatever was your, was your nature, you learned that also, along with learning this, how to do dharma. And uh, that uh, helps you to uh, you know, control your mind and senses and prepares you for the next stage, which is accumulating. And you didn't have to struggle so hard to earn money those days. When dharma is done, then okay, you, you do whatever your occupation is and you get the results very easily by the Lord's mercy. Prabhupada always said, don't think it is your hard work which is maintaining you. It's all arrangements, background arrangements are all done by Krishna, the whole universe, all the devatas are all complying with his instructions. That is what is giving you, maintaining you. Just for our own ego gratification, Krishna arranges, okay, you think you're doing that, getting the result. And we feel like small children, oh, I only did everything. 
but actually it's all arranged by the parents who lovingly uh, you know arranges so that the child can enjoy in a sweetly world thinking he did everything so and uh, the thing is it's not just fun and games you also have to pay for it and uh, so if you are uh, ignorant of karma then they are going to be doing adharma so naturally when there, when there is no dharma then artha also becomes scarce and so people have to struggle harder and harder to get well on the other hand you did dharma first then artha comes like naturally so easily little bit effort you do and then because you're not meant to uh, struggle like that in this material world it's krishna's world why will he make his children unnecessarily just to maintain when actually he's saying surrender to me and come back to me I really want to keep us trapped in this material world simply to maintain our body. So the purpose is not that. The purpose is to elevate our consciousness. So then Artha comes in a very, I mean, quite a, a very religious way it comes because we've already done Dharma. So everything very properly we do according to the, uh, you know, Shastra injunctions. We don't deviate from that. Then comes Karma, sense gratification. Also. Quite naturally and easily, and what is the sense gratification? That is also not just <clears throat> you know some kind of um, irresponsible sense gratification. Just go to pubs every day, just get drunk with your fair friends, and then do a partying, and um, you know not that kind of life. That is not karma. Refers to um, sense gratification that is uh, granted in the. Shastras, um, which also has something uh, higher attached to it, so that while doing that, you also get elevated. So the Arthama especially means uh, is referred to getting married and uh, then getting children and all that. At the same time, you have some sense gratification, uh, and uh, but all the time you are also growing because you are doing uh, now uh, you know. Um, in the case of uh, okay, at least karma kanda you are doing Shrama Dharma, uh, you do karma kand. It is uh, a little higher than that. Then you do karma yoga. This you are doing your activity, uh, thinking of Krishna and giving the results to Krishna. Otherwise, karma kand is just doing sacrifices from time to time, pleasing the devatas, and then they give you some uh, fruits, and then you <coughs> offer it back to the devatas. So. Uh, like that. but then we always knew that the goal was krishna because after sense gratification then during retirement time the last part the last quarter of their lives was meant for dedicated for completely for self realization and which leads to moksha so it was very systematically designed our life so that everybody will go through proper living so there was complete harmony in society and everybody were very peaceful and um, you know um, everybody followed the vedic injunctions at least and if somebody was not following then he would be really punished or chastised and reformed so the society was um, you know new i mean everybody knew what was the goal in life and that is why people had some kind of uh, you know um, Restraint or some vairagya, you know, and knowledge. Knowledge comes in the Bhagavad Gita. We will learn that only when you act without, uh, you know, being attached to the results of your work. 
So that means that you, Krishna uh, gives us in the Bhakti Yoga chapter, the 12th chapter, how you're supposed to, um, I mean, what are the different levels of Bhakti Yoga also. He says the topmost is to always fix your mind on me and always, uh, I mean, worship me, use your intelligence, live with me, and that is the topmost. Now, everybody cannot do that, and so he said, okay, then you start doing, following the regulative principles of devotion and try develop a desire to achieve me. So, that is what uh, we are doing, uh, you know, in Spawn and Bhakti. Uh, all Bhakti yogis are doing that. We're trying to follow these principles so that we become focused on Krishna. Otherwise, our mind is completely, uh, you know, uh, scattered in its, um, you know, everybody is focused on what sense gratification I can do, as much as I can do. This is the goal. If you ask a materialist in today's world, uh, especially, what is your goal in life? They'll just look, ask at you. What do you mean goal? I have now immediate goals I know. I, I need to buy this house or I'm paying my EMI for this or that and then I have to like that. Or I want to be the top guy and I want to <coughs> expand my business, something like that. But nobody has the goal that, okay, finally, ultimate goal is go back to God. Nobody does. Whereas in Vedic culture, everybody knew that uh, the last part of our life, the minute they get retired, then they slowly withdraw and focus on, you know, doing either approaching a sadhu or keep going to the temple and listening to courses. They know that, but in uh, today's, and these Jambudvi talking about, I don't know which uh, uh, yuga, must be Satya Yuga, because after Priyavrata and all that, so. And even, even a very person is very attached because, because of which he keeps taking repeated births. And what to take, uh, speak of Kali Yuga people. Uh, and he's saying how a materialist, because he's focused on his senses and sense gratification, he, that is his only focus. He actually is just a focus. All of the relationships, as long as everybody is gratifying the senses, uh, say even in a family, actually nobody loves each other or they're all very selfish. They're only thinking about their own comforts. So uh, that is why it is like this, that even if the son dies, then the father is happy, I can enjoy his property or vice versa. Because the uh, for them, the absolute truth is my mind and senses have to be happy. Then I am happy. That's all. Nothing more than that. And uh, in such a scenario, and that's why we find in today's world, hardly any families are even going together. Even if husband and wife live together, it's called a, you can call it a joint family. That also is getting scattered now. Everybody is living separately. You do your thing, I do my thing. Or if they all happen to live in the same house, everybody is in different, different worlds, in different rooms, doing their own thing. So this is how it shows our mind, mental state, and that, uh, you know, expresses itself in um, how the state of affairs, how the people live, how they interact and everything. Uh, so, and the minute everybody is involved in controlling their senses, and like a devotee, a devotee family, for example, everybody, right from ch children, are, you know, getting up early, chanting, 
and then uh, engaged in different uh, you know um, activities of devotional service and then they go and do all their work and come back and they also you know do many uh, devotional activities together then what happens what happens is their minds are all controlled so there is some common thing you know uh, each one is thinking about satisfying krishna and automatically the you know the feeling of sacrifice the uh, wanting to do service, wanting to please, uh, you know, Krishna and all the others, I mean, even the family members or anybody, we only think of how to make others happy. Then in such a thing, there can be common, uh, you know, living together is possible only then. And because in India, uh, the daily culture made everyone, you know, not just think of their strength gratification, but about pleasing Krishna, pleasing others. So then what happened was that they could even live together. So many brothers and their families live together under one roof, father and mother and uh, so on. Sometimes more than 40 people living in one house. <laughs> that is amazing. And all thinking about, uh, you know, of the others' welfare. No brother would think these are my children and that's my brother's children. No. In fact, that is the first thing in the Bhagavad Gita, the first verse. Dhridrashtra is heavily criticized because he separated like that my child and the child of Pandu. This is not the case in a, a joint family and that too in a royal household. The Kurus were actually Pandu, actually, is the, <coughs> the Pandvas are the actual heir of the throne. He uh, first of all, he took away the kingdom from them and then he acted as if only his sons were the heir of this. So that was actually an aberration. In the, uh, I mean, the, so in a joint family, what used to happen is that every brother would think opposite of, you know, his brother's children take care, I mean, or if he was doing something for his children, he would include all of them. And his children never, they thought that they have so many brothers and sisters. They never thought that this is my cousin and this is my brother and sister. They didn't make a distinction like that. And so, it was, uh, you know, everybody felt very interested. This is when, uh, in the home, uh, the, it was very religious, the head of the family was very biased, and uh, they were he and she, I mean, mother and father, were guiding the children in doing dharma, and uh, you know they, uh, so they were all uh, self-controlled, and uh, they had a higher goal and purpose in life. Then it was possible, and the minute you give in to your senses and mind, and you become selfish, then what happens? Everyone says, "I want my privacy." Okay, I want one room for myself. I'm not going to share everything the way I want. So how much individualistic and how selfish we have become. And even just, uh, you know, I've heard devotees sharing how they used to be, you know, when they were young, uh, when they were part of a joint family, how happy they were. Of course, in Kaliuga, the families are not Krishna conscious, then it's a big nightmare because each one will be politicking and trying to put the other down, all these things. If without Krishna, of course it's not possible. But in a Vedic culture, in a God conscious uh, scenario, this was happening. And now, because in material life we don't find any such things, it's very rare. So it's very important that we have a Vaishnava community 
based on such principles of taking care of one another, having loving relationships, sharing. You know, it's not just my family and I then also take care of other families and uh, you know, uh, in uh, you know, learning together or serving together, or if we have some problems, you help each other out. So then it can substitute for that, you know, because people were so well cared for and they all felt um, very secure because we're all looking for love and acceptance. That is the only reason why people are working very hard because actually it's not just for subsistence or uh, just for enjoyment because there's more than enough for that. But they want to make their mark in society and be successful, hoping that people will all be very nice to them, respect them, and be friends. But in reality, they may fr be friendly with you if you're successful, but behind your back, they are very jealous. This is the material world. It's such a farce. And people, and Prabhupada calls out the bluff very nicely. I mean, Bhagavatam itself talks very, very clear about what is material life. It's very, very illusory. You have, you make up one big dream about it. Everybody, we are born into this. And especially, you know, in this kind of thinking that we are born into some wonderful place where it's going to be so nice and, uh, you know, like, um, what do you call that? It's, um, a Shangri-La or a heaven, imagine, and especially in the youthful time, uh, between, uh, you know, childhood, I mean, teenage years and early adulthood, people have such dreams of, you know, everything being very fine and I'll just make it and very well in this life and everything is going to be very hunky-dory and happy. All people are very good. All these kind of illusions and myths are there. I mean, because we... We originally belong to such a, the, the soul is good and we want such a, a, a place where everybody is very kind and they do and very loving and caring and we want that. Then unfortunately we are not trained for that. We need training to uh, li live such a life without training, allowing people to maximum gratify their senses. They are hoping against hope. There's going to be peace and harmony, world peace day. I mean, they just uh, some shallow, superficial things. They want to act as if just doing, uh, talking about peace will bring about peace. No, because nobody is. Uh, everybody is thinking about sense gratification at the cost of others. That's all. So how do you? How can you even imagine peace? That's what Prabhupada said. Even in the United Nations, they should chant Hare Krishna mantra, and only there will be some unity whereby everyone is thinking of Krishna consciousness because the world, if they understand that everything belongs to Krishna, then everybody will take their quota according to what Krishna desires. They will not want anything more. And that is how the Indian kings were. You know, even in the Bhagavatam and all, the great kings, right up to Yudhishthir and Parikshit Maharaj, they were such a statesman like, they had so much power because Vedic culture started from India, I mean, it, it, uh, and spread all over the world. Though some people have it, be, have us believe the other way. There are so many other theories. We know from historical records and all that because in the Bhagavatam you mentioned, you uh, you know, in the Puranas we see how India is mentioned as the seat of all culture, 
and how even the pandavas i mean the mahabharat war itself is a uh example how the battle happened at kurukshetra and kings from all over the world get assembled there taking the sides so we know and all these statesmen like or uh, raja rishis kings they were not just going around and just conquering people and making them their vassals and uh, taking all their money that's not what india ever did they were just going around to check that everybody is following dharma as a duty and india uh, they were satisfied with just maintaining their boundaries and uh, making sure that their people were uh, you know well prop i mean they were prosperous no problems materially and spiritually they were all progressing it is what but on the other hand you see conquerors like um napoleon or the roman emperors and um, uh, of course the greek emperor uh, alexander they only had a desire to go conquer conquer and take all the plunder take away everybody's riches and be act like a lord harass people and make them slaves and all of these kings in they became senile and crazy towards the uh, you know latter part of their lives because they were so powerful and it went to their heads so they all had to be removed you know just uh, so just like um, caesar also was killed because he became uh, you know uh, became power hungry so but on the other hand you see one who is uh, trained in vedic culture he will no uh, no i mean they would retire from everything once they uh, you know they felt that okay i have crossed uh, my prime and after 55 then little bites start coming then they think okay now i'll hand it over to my uh, son and that's how it was because they you know the qualities because it required a lot of good qualities to be a king um you know uh, he had a lot of tapasya and all that not that you can just in a be trained right from childhood and uh, somehow the qualities because this everything was followed properly so the qualities uh, passed on from one generation to another so it was kept it like like that but they had to uh, really sacrifice a lot for the sake of their subjects so that is how it was and uh, that is <coughs> so in in today's world it's different but at least everybody can become krishna conscious or at least a few people as leaders of society or you know a few people even become very religious devotees and that chaitanya mahaprabhu said will bring about a big revolution because uh, of their pious activities i mean the piety it's actually above piety it's devotional activity so purifying it will purify every place a few the one person he said one person of the devotees can bring about a complete uh, you know um, a torrent of uh, good fortune for that place so that is why the chanting of hari krishna mantra is so important to get a revival of what exactly is life should be rather than this crazy frenetic pace in which uh, you know life is going on without a clue about the purpose of life uh, and then uh, i don't know people are just having very very short sighted uh, goals about sense gratification that's all they want they don't want anything else they don't want even people or relationships 
become very impersonal. I do my thing. I have my gadgets. I have my whatever cars, and uh, I have a house, and I I go wherever I want. And most of it is uh, automated. They want to make it more and more automated so that we don't need people at all. Alone, I can live in the house with you know Alexa and um, whatever. Even everything robots will do all my jobs for me. I will just alone enjoy. See how demoniac we are becoming and crazy. Not even demoniac, they're becoming crazy to think that we can be happy living alone just with some gadgets and some sense gratification. So that is why it is really ridiculous. Understand that you know the purpose of life is simply to re-establish a connection with Krishna. Said in the Bhagavad Gita that we become. Uh, we are directed by Krishna, like he directed Arjuna. Each of us is a is a, um, a replica of Arjuna. We need Krishna to direct us. Just follow his instructions, and then we'll be happy. Thank you very much, Hari Krishna. Hare Krishna Mataji, thank you so much for so much this wonderful those started nice to hear you again. Thank you, Mataji. And thank you, Banamalani Mataji, for taking over uh, when Mataji was Premapadmini Mataji was not here. Hare Krishna. Krishna, is Priya Padmini Mataji there? Yeah, yes. She is there, Mataji. Go ahead. Oh, Hare Krishna, Mataji. Ah, okay. Thank, you so, thank you so much, Mataji. I heard you after a like, long break and such a wonderful, enlightening class. And what I understood is that, you know, um, uh, to stay fixed in Krishna consciousness, you know, like we meet the association of devotees because in Kali Yuga, you know, mind can trick us, like you said, and uh, so it's it's without the association it's very very difficult you know and like you also mentioned in the beginning and I actually experienced that that uh, and it's written in the uh, Srimad Bhagavatam also that if you know we like kind of uh, Krishna will if we have some desire which is not Krishna conscious and we move towards that desire then mm. Krishna and we will not realize that we are actually in, into Maya we are like moving in a different direction altogether and uh, so it becomes hard and you know like uh, it becomes very hard. I don't know whether you, you were saying or Mataji was saying about uh, uh, she was one uh, um, Mataji was uh, mentioning in the beginning that uh, she started some Bhagavad Gita classes and there was this person who uh, was trying to find happiness but you know every time again and again he was not getting happiness because of the wealth or degree or anything so uh, he would again come back because that, that I think that eternal happiness is with Krishna only. 
So we might think that more degrees, more education, more money and all that, but still, you know, um, it's, um, uh, it's not going to get us anywhere, you know, like that. So, um, but Mataji, like one thing I wanted to mention is like you said that, uh, yes, uh, nowadays even in the home, everybody's isolated and there is so much of separation, right? You mentioned that. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, that separation uh, also comes when, you know, in the same household there are devotees and non-devotees also, you know. Uh, everybody is devotee of Krishna, but just that they, some are practicing, some are not. So in that case, the separation is okay. I mean, in the sense that, you know, we cannot take too much of association of our, um, like, uh, family who are members, you know, who are not uh, from the heart accepting. Uh, you know, what Srila Prabhupada went through, what he's given us, this is like a jewel, you know, in our hand. So, mm. yeah, then that kind of separation we have to keep. Other separation, yeah. I don't know what it is all about. You know, like you said, everybody is isolated, even in family. No, 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 I just, uh, you continue. I said, the basic society, uh, because everybody was God conscious, so they could be together. And here, because we are not trained in it, some people, it's left to people's choice, you know. That, um, I mean, of course, there was always differences in the Vedic society also, but by and large, everybody followed the same kind of lifestyle. There were not so many options and choices available, like in today's world. Yeah, like I think one of the, our Maharaj.